0: Awesome job, thank you guys. Well, good morning. Welcome to our five-week series, finishing up this month and carrying us all the way through the month of October together, called Loving Generously. And this is meant to be a series where we do this journey, this walk into the very heart of God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave and the contention of the scriptures and of jesus christ is is if that we have been loved by god then we can indeed love others in fact we're not only told that we can love others we are actually in the scriptures as followers of jesus christ commanded to love others and not just other believers in jesus christ Look at the person next to you. They're really sweet. They're really lovely. They're really awesome people. It's easy to love people who are like us. So the Scripture says that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. But the Bible also says that we are to love our neighbors like ourselves. So now think about your street. Think about your courtyard. Think about your cul-de-sac. Think about the people around that cul-de-sac. You know, it's funny, we're commanded to love them, and supposedly we're able to do that because we have first been loved by the Lord, experienced His love and grace, so that we can now love and show love and grace to them as well. So the Bible commands us to love one another as believers, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and the Bible even commands us to love our enemies. Whoa. Well, there, Pastor Billy, you've walked across the line. There's no way we could ever do that. Well, actually, again, the Bible says yes. Yes, we can. It won't be easy, amen? But God has given us everything necessary to honor him. He has given us his word. He has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he has given us the people of God to lean on, to ask questions, to wrestle with these truths with, and to find encouragement and enablement to actually fulfill what God has asked for us to do. So we are on this five-week journey into the very heart of God, and it has been my prayer and my hope that through this series that we will understand even better what it means to live and to love like Jesus and to help others to do the same. So let me show you how this is hopefully going to play out over the weeks to come. Each week, uh, I'm going to be sharing with you one of the sessions that is built around a video element, a cinematic element. This is, if you will, a narrative or a story where we're going to follow the Donovan family. Frank and his wife, Cassie, and uh, the gentleman there, his name is Ray. We're going to follow their journey in trying to honor the Lord with their lives in their context. And we're going to wrestle with that. We're going to struggle right along with them. How do we do that in our lives? So uh, I will show you the story each week. It's about an eight-minute element. Then I will open the scriptures with you. And we will speak from the scriptures where the story comes from. Then the goal would be that we would be involved in small group communities to wrestle with these truths, to try and flesh them out and apply them to our lives. And then we will follow up with acts of service. The story, the scriptures, small group communities, and then acts of service. That's how each of these are meant to play out this week. And throughout the next few weeks together again we can minister to the unlovable because Jesus has lavished us with his love we can minister even to the least of those in our society because Jesus Christ has commanded us empowered us and shown us what that means this is the essence of gospel living this is the essence of what it means to know Jesus And this is the essence of our mission as a church to live and to love like Jesus. So I have asked the Lord to do a lot of great things both this week and throughout the weeks to come in our hearts and in our lives. And I need to be right up front honest with you. I have walked with Jesus Christ for 30 years. I am ashamed to say that I am the most selfish person in this room. And when it comes to loving others, when it comes to self-sacrificially giving myself away, I am embarrassed to admit that I am nowhere near my Savior in this matter. And so I am counting on this series changing this guy. And if it blesses and benefits you, it's all the better. But I need this more than anyone else in this room. So if you will, walk with me as I go on this journey, to become more like Jesus because I want to honor him. I love him, and I want to live a life that acknowledges his lordship in my life. So right now, I'm going to show you the story, the little video element. It's about eight minutes long, and then we're going to engage one another in the scriptures. So please, let's connect as the story is shown. From there, we will go. What do you think, Frank?
1: Honey, it looks great.
0: Don't worry. Everything's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, what could possibly go do? wrong? He's done a really great job. I'm impressed.
0: Did you expect anything else? Oh, look here. Handsy, honey. Oh, nice.
1: Frank, Cassie. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Welcome to Seed Time Garden Supply partners. <laughs>
0: Come
1: here. Oh. Closer okay. to the sod, closer to God. Ray looks
0: amazing. It really does. We were going to bring a grand opening gift, but my go-to is usually a plant. <laughs> <laughs> and Dolores, I wanted to meet Frank and Cassie Donovan. They made this whole thing happen. Oh, we helped. A little bit. Ray's the one with the green thumb. <laughs> It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, actually, I think we met some time ago, down at the soup kitchen. That's right. You
1: haven't been there in a while.
0: Well, I haven't had the need lately. (laughs) Thanks to
1: Ray here. You know, you should come out to the banquet tonight. You could be Ray's plus one.
0: Oh, she wouldn't want to sit through some old stuffy banquet with a bunch of rich folk. I can decide if I want to go to some stuffy banquet myself. Thank you very much. It's not stuffy. What?
1: <clears throat> okay, so it's a little stuff. What do you expect? It's for the soup kitchen dinners. You've got a better idea. You do, don't you? <laughs>
0: he also said to the man who invited him, "When you give a dinner or
1: banquet, don't just invite your
0: friends, your relatives, and rich neighbors." The kind of people who can return to favor. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can repay you. It does kind of make sense to invite the people that benefit... benefits, right? So basically, it's like a metal detector, but only it finds plastic. You know what I'm saying? But what would you find with it? What do you mean, plastic?
1: I met Frank almost uh, four years ago at, at the kitchen. Excuse me. I have some people for
0: me. This is Thomas and his fiance Julia. We've enjoyed getting to know them at the kitchen.
1: It's great to meet you, Thomas. Yeah, you too.
0: Oh, I'm sort of the official handshaker for us.
1: <laughs> I am so oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I saved tons of money on hand sanitizer. (laughs) Cassie, may I speak with you for a moment, please? Oh, Victoria,
0: I'd like to. I'm sorry, dear. Um, I'm afraid I won't be able to stay for dinner, but you can put me down for my usual donation. Oh, thank you. But I'm sorry that you have to leave so soon. I'm not exactly sure why things were changed this year, but. You should probably know that a few people feel a little ambushed by how this was done. Ambushed?
1: I just thought you'd want to know. Aren't you staying for dinner? Not for me. I'm sorry to hear that. Did we do something to upset you? I don't see no name card says Chuck. That's a good point, Chuck. But I don't see a card here with anyone else's name on here, do you? No, sir, I suppose I don't. Chuck, from the looks of it, we are gonna have food to go around. So, would you please join me for dinner? Hey,
0: Frank, Cassie, thank you. It was a great evening. Y'all take care. Take care. Drive safe. What a lovely evening. <laughs>
1: Something wrong, Frank? I was just thinking about the people who left earlier tonight. But hey, more food for us, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, some people
0: only want to sit at tables when every seat is reserved for people like themselves. But you want real community.
1: You got to rip up name cards. And prepare to get your hands dirty. I know a thing or two about getting my hands dirty. <laughs> you know
0: <what> <laughs> Now you know why we hated to lose Ray as a gardener. Oh, yeah. Julia, is something wrong, dear? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. (laughs) Say what's on your mind. You're among friends here. It's just I haven't been a part of many meaningful relationships lately. Except Thomas, of course. (laughs) Thomas is... The
1: only healthy thing in my life. It's okay, sweetheart. Julia lost her apartment today. Oh. It's a long story, but we're trying to figure out how to deal with some people who think that they get to decide what table Julia sits at.
0: Oh. I know that there's a lot there that won't be solved right now, but Frank and I might be able to
1: help out in some small way. We have a guest house that we would love for you to use for as long as you need it.
0: Uh, no, I, I couldn't. No, uh,
1: uh, thank you, Mrs. Donovan, um, but... No, hold on, Thomas. I know you can't see my wife right now, but if you could, you'd know not to mess with her. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, we insist
0: I, I... I don't know what to say Say thank you, dear uh, <laughs> Of course Thank you
1: You're welcome Let's settle then This
0: was nice where Yeah Especially knowing God will repay you. So I don't have to.
1: <laughs>
0: this is merely uh, the first installment of this journey that Frank and his wife Cassie are going to take with this young couple. But today, the focal point was on the idea of. The banquet the banquet it actually comes from Luke chapter 14 I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me today as we began to unpack the story that is found there um, the goal is is that we would understand the implications of the banquet even in our lives today So the challenge to us as Jesus followers, as we live lives of loving generously, a lot of that can be understood in this thing called the banquet. Luke chapter 14, there's several sections here. My goal is to move through them as quickly as possible, but there's lots of fertile soil here, so I don't want to miss miss too much. But beginning in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, as we consider the story uh, that's found there, we discover this, that loving generously requires a proper understanding of my faith. Loving generously, the ability to lavish others with the same love that God has lavished in my life, requires that we have a proper understanding of our faith. And that comes here in Luke 14:1 through 6. I'm going to read this with comprehension so that we can understand exactly what's transpiring here. So here we have this this story. It says this, one Sabbath. Now a Sabbath, of course, in the Jewish framework is Saturday, which is their day of worship. It is the holy day of the week. So one Sabbath when he, Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, of course, in the scriptures were Jesus' arch enemies. They were the people who represented the establishment, the the religious structures that were there in Israel. And Jesus was perceived by them to be an enormous threat to them. His person, his teaching, and even his popularity was perceived by them to be a threat. And so they were always looking for ways to discredit Jesus. So, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, They were watching him carefully. The word watching here actually has the idea to stare at, almost to the point of leering at him. Well, why? Well, we discover, behold, there just so happened to be a man before them who had the dropsy. What a strange term, the dropsy. Uh, It refers to a medical condition where you have swelling of the extremities, a very painful swelling of the extremities. So in verses 1 and 2 here, what we see is Jesus is being set up. They're looking to entrap Jesus. It just so happens to be the Sabbath day, a day in which you were not allowed in their understanding of the Old Testament law to do any kind of work, including healing. It was the Sabbath. Jesus was invited to the home of one of the great rulers of the Pharisees, and there just so happened to be a man who needed to be healed this was a setup from the word go now again they were looking to discredit jesus if jesus were to act and heal as his compassionate heart would want to do then they got him so it says this jesus said to them jesus responded to the lawyers and the pharisees with a question Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And what does it say? They didn't know what quite to say. They had set the trap. This guy was in it. He was the bait, and they were all ready to snap it. And then Jesus asks them this question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent. And notice what it says. And then Jesus took him, the man with dropsy, and he healed him. He took away his painful condition. He made his life wonderful again. And then it says, and he sent him away. This was more of Jesus' compassion because the man was nothing more than a bait in the trap. And he was going to save him from any more embarrassment. So after he healed him, Jesus said, you can leave now. God bless you. And now he turns his attention to the Pharisees. And notice what he says to them. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that had fallen into the well on the Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. You see, Jesus reveals their hypocrisy by exposing their, belief, their false belief and saying, listen... If any of you had a son or an ox who had fallen into the well on the Sabbath day, you would immediately rescue him. But because there is a man here that you really don't want anything to do with, you use the law as a reason not to do what God would want done. This is pretty powerful stuff. Jesus is turning the tables on them. He's basically taking their interpretation of Scripture and saying, you're wrong to them. And my concern is this. When it comes to those with obvious needs in their lives, it is possible to use a faulty interpretation of our faith to justify not doing what we don't want to do. That is what they were doing. And this is what Jesus was showing them their hypocrisy in. And I'm afraid if we do not have a biblical understanding of our salvation and of our faith, that it would be very easy for us to fall into the same place the Pharisees had fallen into a wrong interpretation of Scripture. This is the truth. Listen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and nine not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saves us it has nothing to do with our good works to give us eternal life that's the teaching of scripture it's jesus plus jesus plus equals absolutely that is the truth of the scriptures a thousand times over that is the truth of the scriptures you will never be made right with god by doing good deeds your salvation is not based upon doing good deeds. You're not saved by doing good things. But you are saved to do good works. For some reason, when it comes to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we're quick to quote those. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast. But verse 10 goes on to say this. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works works. So if we're not careful, we can get an unbalanced view of what salvation really is, that I'm saved by grace. I can do anything I want. It doesn't really matter. But the truth of the matter is, indeed, it is by grace through faith that you are saved, but you are saved for good works. And without the good works, how can we even know if we're truly saved? This is what Ephesians 2 uh, 8 through 10 are all about. Let me give you another instance in the Scripture where this is highlighted again. And people are wondering, what is Jesus talking about? You can't say that, Jesus, because that's not what the Apostle Paul would say. Let me give it to you. It's found in, in, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, it says this, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What am I going to do to be saved, Basically. And Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now listen to what he says. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and live. Do this and you'll have eternal life. Wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you advocating a works-based salvation here, Jesus? You know, the apostle Paul would be very disapproving of what you just said, Jesus. Is that really what Jesus is advocating? Well, no. You see, the beauty of what Paul had to do in the first century church is he had to define very clearly justification by faith, being declared righteous by the work of Christ alone on the cross. Justification. But connected to our justification is something called sanctification. That's our progressively becoming more like Jesus, and it finally arrives in something called glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification is called salvation. What Jesus did here with the lawyer is he merely put it all together. What does it mean to have eternal life? Well, it means that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. After Jesus went to the cross and died, that means it's faith alone and Christ alone, and you're given the gift of eternal life. But it's evidenced by loving others. Eternal life is a relationship with the living God. And having a relationship with the living God is meant to touch and change every other relationship in your life or according to the scriptures it may not be real it may not be genuine you may have just believed some thoughts or facts but you haven't really been born again so the scriptures are plain there's only one way to be right with God but if you're properly connected to God the result in your life will be a life of good works In the lives of those who need it the most, in the lives of those around us who are in obvious need. This is what the scriptures teach. This is what they were trying to sidestep by using the law to sidestep it. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Bill. Wait a minute, Pastor Bill. You know, I like this whole idea of loving other people, and I like the whole idea of being sacrificial to the, towards those in need. I think it's really cool for those people who go out of their way to help people with obvious need. That's really, really nice. But I don't really have to worry about that because I believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. I'm saved. My question to you is: How do you know? How do you know you're saved? Well, I believe. Well, that's interesting. James, in James chapter 2, ran into somebody with much the same attitude. And he says, listen, you do well to believe, but the demons believe, and they tremble. But we know they're not saved. And in context, in James chapter 2, it was somebody with need who people were just saying, be warmed and blessed, and they moved on. They never really helped. James says, what kind of faith is that? It's useless. It can't save you, and it can't save them. What good is it? You say, no, Pastor Bill, you're not hearing me. Pastor Bill, what I meant is this. I embrace the cross. It's all about the cross. And to that I say amen. It's all about the cross. Now Jesus said, take up that cross and follow him. And if you don't follow him, you're not worthy to be his disciple. You see, I think it's important that we don't have an unbiblical view of our faith that says I'm good to go with God. It doesn't matter if I do anything else because I'm saved by faith. You're right. You are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves you is never alone. It issues forth in a transformation of your life that sees the needs of others and embraces those needs in the name of Jesus. This is what the scriptures do teach. You know, I'm going I'm to leave this topic. We've got to move on, but I'm not going to leave it uh, unspoken into. I'm going to give one more illustration here. And I thought I would pull upon two of the heavyweights of the faith these days. Two of, two of the mavericks of the faith, two of the uh, titans of the faith. A man by the name of John Piper. How many are familiar with John Piper? How many are familiar with Tim Keller? Okay, so Tim Keller and John Piper are two of the great thinkers of our faith today. They sat down not long ago and they talked about this whole thing called faith, sanctification, justification, salvation. Listen to what they have to say. I think they say it well.
1: Awful lot of simple Christians do think of justification like that. It's it's just the pardon, and now sanctification is what I do to keep God happy with me. Yeah. And I think we have to say no. Your, your justification doesn't mean imputed righteousness. Sanctification is a sign that you've got the saving faith. I think that's how I've been doing it. And and, and to use the words of James, it's a sign because if your faith isn't producing a change, isn't Producing love, it's not real, right? Which is, and that would be Galatians five six. Right, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith working through love. So, can you get at the the psychological dynamics of how that works? Faith working through love. Yeah, let's actually um, let's spend time on that. That's very important. So, what I'm about to tell you, I don't believe gets to the bottom of it, but. uh, Some years ago, I remember talking to a woman who wasn't a believer yet. Uh, this This is only one part of the answer. She wasn't a believer yet, but she was just coming to grips with the idea I'm saved by grace and faith, not by my works. And she said, I used to go to church years ago, and when I came up in that church, I never heard that you were saved by grace and faith. I always heard you were saved by being a good person. She says, why haven't I heard this? Why don't more churches teach it? And fortunately, by some wonderful providence, uh, you know, most ministers, obviously we media, we're so happy to have a question because we can hold forth. But for some reason I said, well, why do you think? <laughs> and she says, well, it's, this is scary. I said, what? And he says, if you're saved by works, there's a limit to what God can ask of you. Uh, you're like a taxpayer. You've paid your taxes, you've paid your dues, and he could ask certain things of you, but not anything. But he said, if I'm really saved by grace because of what Jesus has done, there's no limit to what he could ask of me. And my g- obedience would have to be unconditional. And I looked at her and I said, you realize that most people, when they first hear that you're saved by grace alone and not by works, think, well, this is great. That means I can live any way I want. Mm-hmm. But see, for her, she was already, by the way, she probably was saved at that point. I look back, I think she just hadn't professed the faith yet because she understood the gospel so well. Um, and she said, she says psychologically, if you realize that you've been saved by grace, it means I owe him everything, which, of course, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. And see, that's one psychological thing that has to happen. Yeah. It, you're looking at your justification, you're looking at your free justification and costly to God, mm-hmm. okay? And immediately says, I, I don't have the right to make these calls. I've got to do what the Lord says. I mean, that's one. And that's, it's motivated by joy. It's not like, oh, I gotta obey.
0: So our faith, our faith is not an excuse not to reach out in love. Hey, I'm saved, I'm good. No. Our faith is actually the very ground and root of our salvation, of which the fruit in our lives is good works towards those, especially those who are in obvious need. So loving generously requires a proper understanding of my faith. Next, Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, to clarify that loving generously actually requires a self-imposed humility. A self-imposed humility. Notice what he goes on to say to those there. It says, and now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited to this gathering at the ruler's house when he noticed how they all seemed to choose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, now they weren't at a wedding feast, this is his parable, this is his little story, do not sit down in the place of honor. Don't sit at the head table. lest somebody more distinguished than you be invited by the host. And the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to give this place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to get up, to walk over to the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes in, he may say to you, Oh, no, 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 you're sitting in the wrong place. You should be up closer to the head table. You then will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Now, notice Jesus concludes this thought with these words in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be what? That's right. And he who chooses to humble himself shall be? That's it. That's exactly right. Now, remember, this is a walk into the heart of God. This is where we begin to live and to love like Jesus. Jesus is our savior, but in many ways, he is also ultimately to become who we reflect with our lives. And the person of Jesus Christ reflects this concept that he was even saying to them perfectly with his own life. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not consider um, equality with God something to be held on to. But Jesus willfully chose to empty himself by taking the form of a servant, The word there is doulos, it actually can mean a slave, and being born in the likeness of man, God in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he willingly chose to humble himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus is actually living out what he has says here. So everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself, and Jesus showed us what that means. He willfully chose to lower himself. He willfully chose to connect himself. He willfully put himself in the place of death for us. So what happens when you do that? You will be... I beg your pardon? That's right. And it goes on to say this in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so it is God's desire... That we actually choose to willfully humble ourselves to actually reach out and meet the needs of others. An active choice not to remain in our social circles, our positions and places of comfort, but rather we willingly choose to connect ourselves with people who need things and ultimately need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who has an exalted view of himself will be humbled. God does those things. But rather we are to choose to humble ourselves so that God would ultimately exalt us. If we're ever going to learn to love generously, we will need to be those who choose to humble ourselves like our Savior did. And if we are not willing to help those who are in obvious need, we have a too-elevated view of ourselves and of our accomplishments, in the doors walk two people. One is a man who, whose clothes have seen better days. Yeah, it could look like me, I guess. Uh, one whose clothes have seen better days doesn't have a place to shower, doesn't have uh, decent shoes, um, looks a little disheveled, uh, comes over and sits over here. In the door also walks another person of great means and substance. I mean, they are dressed really fine. They have a really nice watch and really a good aura about them, very prominent, very successful. They drove up in a really nice car and sits over here. You walk in, you have a decision to make. Hmm, I wonder where I'll sit. Over here. Ooh. Over here. Ah. We all naturally gravitate up. We all do it by nature. We just naturally associate up. For some reason there's something in all of us that just wants to be by association, connected with people who are successful and capable. And to associate down in our minds means we don't want to do that. Why would we want to do that? And yet this is exactly what Jesus is saying we should choose to do. As those who have experienced the love and the grace of God, he is calling us to associate with those who are in obvious need. Those who need what we have and ultimately they need the Savior that we say we know. And so I love the words of the Apostle Paul. You know, I thought about, how can we humble ourselves? Because it's an act of choice. We humble ourselves. How do we do that? Well, I could give you two ways that we could do that. I could focus on the fact that we are all depraved sinners, okay? I can go there. We did that in Galatians, so I thought we probably are done with that whole thought right now. But let me take the other angle on this. Rather than focusing on the fact that we are all depraved sinners, uh, in other words, who are we to make distinctions— Uh, Ultimately, I like the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4-7. Listen to what he says. He's got four little questions here, or three little questions here, and they actually go a long way to helping us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says this, Who made you so important? Let me read that again. That's a good question. Who made you so important? Who do you think you are? What have you got that has not been given to you? That's a good question. And if it was given to you, then why are you boasting as though it were your own? Think about that. Think about that just for a quick second. You see, we need to understand that all the blessings of our lives, all the blessings of our lives are due to a generously loving God who has chosen to bless us in ways that simply we cannot take credit for. You say, well, Pastor Bill, I worked hard to be where I am in life. I worked really hard to be where I am in life. I'm a very successful person, I think, and I worked hard to get there. Well, let me ask you this Who chose for you to be born in the United States of America? If you pulled that off, congratulations to you. You didn't pull that off, that was a gift given to you by God. How about this? Um, who gave you your intellect? Huh. How is it that you had such, so many great opportunities in life? Hmm. Here we go. Who gave you your motivation? Well, I'm a self-made man. I got my own, I, I pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm a motivated person. I'm just a go-getter. I'm a high roll. I will do whatever it takes to win. Where does that come from? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said this. He goes, I worked harder than all my contemporaries, and yet it was not me, it was the grace of God in me. So everything in our lives that we wish to take credit for, our possessions, look at my car, look at my boat, look at my uh, cars, look at my bank account, look at my, look at my health, look at my, my well-being. Who gave you that? We say, I earned it. Ooh, careful, careful. Do You ever heard the story of Job? He who gave it can take it just like that. So you know what we should be? Thankful. Grateful. Say, thank you, Jesus. Everything we have in life is a gift from the good hand of God. Who are we to think that I'm a somebody and they're a nothing? Look at me and look at them. The reality is, is they are less fortunate than God has been with me they are less blessed than I have been by God and could it be could it be could it be that God wants to use the blessing he has poured out in your life to touch their lives to make Jesus known to them just asking just asking Everyone who chooses to exalt themselves or to have a high view of who you are, you will be humbled. But everyone who willfully chooses to humble themselves, they will be exalted. So, loving generously requires a proper understanding of my faith. Loving generously requires a self-imposed humility. And then in verses 12 and 14, Loving generously requires a proper appraisal of God's economy. A proper appraisal of God's economy. Notice verses 12 through 14. And Jesus said to the man uh, who had invited him, the leader, the ruler of the Pharisees, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, I want you to invite the poor the Cripple, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection at the resurrection of the just. If everything we have is a gift from God, then we need to invest the resources of God as He would want them invested. Can I just say that God does not want us to merely um, use the gifts he's given us of time and talents and treasures, God's rich blessing in our lives, to bless people who already have plenty and who can then, in return for the favor, do the same back to us. But rather, God, I believe, is more honored when we take those resources and give them to those who are less fortunate than us, less blessed than us, so that they can know of a God who loves them and in using us that way. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says this. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. The kindness of the Lord leads leads to repentance and so there are people all around us who are less fortunate than us less blessed than us god has lavished us with his grace with his love and with many many blessings of life and i believe as they are seeking to to cry out to god god why me why am i here what is going on with me as they cry out to god god hears their their cares God hears their needs, and God wants to meet those needs. And he has a way of doing that. We are referred to as the body of Christ on earth. Take your hand and go like that. Look around. What you're seeing is the hands of Jesus. So when Jesus wants to come alongside somebody in need, and he wants to show them his kindness, he's going to use these hands to accomplish that task. Now, when he wants to come alongside somebody in need and to help them in a time of need, what he's going to do is he's going to need some feet. Take your feet and just kind of do this where you're at. Hear that? What you're witnessing are known as the feet of Jesus. He uses our feet to go and do his bidding. When he wants to say something to encourage them. And you know what? I think most people know they're, they're already condemned. I think most people get that whole part because they look at their lives and they think, nothing works, I'm a loser, look at my life, it stinks. I think people get the condemnation part. What people need to hear is that they're forgiven in the cross. And he will use our lips to tell them this wonderful truth. Here's a hard part. So when Jesus wants to feed somebody, he may use these hands. Or he may take this hand and make this hand reach into this pocket and have this pocket pull out this wallet and have this wallet open up with the many wonderful blessings of God that he has lavished upon me and caused me to reach in here and hand it to somebody else in Jesus' name. This is how this works, friends. There are people all around us who are crying out to God, why me, why me? And it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So why are they crying out and their needs not being met? Because the body is paralyzed. We're not doing what he has commanded us to do. We're not going where he's commanded us to go. If our faith is genuine, the heartbeat of Christ should be our heart. Jesus saw the man, and he reached out and he healed him. We can't heal people. I can't heal anybody, but I can help in Jesus' name. And take them one step closer to having a relationship with God. So loving generously requires a proper appraisal of God's economy. When you help somebody who can't give it back to you, you're blessed because you've met a need. And all they can offer you back is their need. And the good part about this is obedience brings its own blessing. And God is on the hook to pay you back. What a deal. I don't know about you, but you know, I put my money in the bank and I watch it go away. But when I know it's with God, I, I can count on that one. That one's coming back. That's awesome. So this is a proper appraisal of God's economy. Now, I'm going to finish up, and I'm way over time, but I'm going to finish up with this last story. I'm going to read it through very quickly, and then I'm just going to close with it. Here we go. So Jesus now goes on to give this parable, uh, the parable of, of the uh, feast. And so I want you to notice, uh, when one of those who was reclined around the table with Jesus, this is at that gathering at the Pharisee's house, Uh, He heard these things about being repaid uh, at at the resurrection of the just. And he said to him, to Jesus and to everyone around that table, I can see this person raising their hands and saying out loud, blessed is everyone who's going to eat in the kingdom of God. We're all going to get there. This is going to be so awesome. Listen to what Jesus says. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, uh, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come. For everyone is now ready. Everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Uh, The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go see it. Please have me excused. Really? You bought a field? You can't like wait? Okay. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. i have got to go examine them. Please excuse me. Really? Really? You can't do that like tomorrow? And another said, I have married a wife, (laughs) therefore I can't come. Okay, you've married a wife, you can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became, what's the word? Oh, he was upset. And he said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The very people that they were admonished to invite into their homes around their tables. These are the ones who are going to be around the table of the kingdom, by the way. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded, we have done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled, emboldened. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. You see, the people that Jesus was associating with at this house of the Pharisee, they were all concerned about where they were going to sit in the kingdom. Am I going to sit closer to Jesus? No, I think I'll sit closer to Jesus. I've done more than you. I'll sit closer to Jesus. They were all wrestling over who's going to sit closer to Jesus. And what Jesus says is this. No, you don't get it you're not even going to be there. You just don't get it. You're not embracing me as God's Savior, and you're not being obedient to what I said. You think you've got it. You've got faith, but you don't have salvation. No excuses is basically what he is saying. Enough already with all the reasons why you can't do what I have commanded you to do. But Pastor Bill, no. But Pastor Bill, no. But if only you knew my life, I don't care. I don't care if it's five yoke of oxen, if you've married a wife or if you've bought a property. or. or, or. No. 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 Loving generously is not optional. It is a necessary outcome of true faith in our lives. And that's where we are going together. You see, this is why I I encouraged you early on. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Early on, I encouraged you to get involved in this thing called small groups. We're going to need these communities to wrestle with these truths because we all have to wrestle with this. If you really know the Lord, you are going to wrestle with this. And you're going to fail, and you're going to struggle, and you're going to ask for forgiveness, but you're going to try to honor the Lord in this area. There are, as Dennis intimated, uh, some more sign-ups out there for you. There's a group that meets right after the second service at 1 o'clock In the fireside room, my group with my wife will meet uh, at 5 o'clock in the fireside room. And there are groups all throughout this week. This is not a topic that's like ancillary to our faith. This is not another good idea. This is the heartbeat of God. This is where we're venturing. This is tough stuff. Whoever told you it was all sunshine and roses when you trusted Jesus, you were lied to. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to say. All right. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the uh, praise team to come on up. They're going to play you out. <clears throat> but I'm going to pray for us, and I want to encourage you to do walk through those doors. Do walk out to those tables. Do sign up for these groups, and do let's wrestle together around these very difficult concepts together. So if you would bow your head and your heart with me, uh, we will pray, and then the praise team will play uh, as you.